One of the unacknowledged co-workers here at Town Crier Productions is Karen. And that changes right now as a result of August 17th being National Black Cat Appreciation Day. That's the only sentence about that in this edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement, because this newsletter and podcast feels strange about stooping to cat pictures to boost audience numbers. I'm Sean Tubbs, and I'm doing it anyway. On today's program, the public comment period is underway for a document that describes how federal funds for affordable housing have been used. The Smith Aquatic and Fitness Center in Charlottesville will close this weekend through Labor Day for annual maintenance. Charlottesville City Council gets an update on what the Land Use, Environmental, and Planning Committee talked about from January to June of this year. A quick summary of what Lupec talked about in July, and Charlottesville City Council weighs in on transit governance as the Thomas Jefferson Planning District Commission oversees an important study. In today's first subscriber-supported shout-out, Charlottesville Community Bikes believes that bicycles can be a means to social change, addressing issues of equity, access, and inclusion. They provide free bikes to children who need one and have a special program that provides free bikes to adults. But Community Bikes also has a really fashionable set of jerseys, tech tees, and vests that are available for pre-order now. Pre-orders are being taken now through August 28th. There's a link in the newsletter. Not sure about your size? Stop by Community Bikes at 917D Preston Avenue for samples. Want to learn more or support their work? Visit charlottesvillecommunitybikes.org to learn more about the organization. Check them out on Facebook for their latest programs and services. And thank you to the subscriber who made this shout-out possible. The United States Department of Housing and Urban Development has public notice and public comment requirements for the use of funding it provides to localities across the country for various projects. The Thomas Jefferson Planning District Commission administers one revenue source called the Home Consortium. Every year, staff produces a document called the CAPER, which stands for Consolidated Annual Performance Evaluation Report. You can visit the TJPDC website on the CAPER, and this one covers activities in 2022. Here's a brief summary. The home program's goals are to assist first-time home buyers preserve existing housing stock by rehabilitating owner-occupied homes and develop new housing units for home ownership or rental. Funding goes to the city of Charlottesville, as well as nonprofit groups that provide funding for specific counties. These are the Albemarle Home Improvement Program, the Fluvanna Louisa Housing Foundation, the Nelson County Community Development Foundation, and Skyline CAP. The latter serves Greene County. The CAPER also covers funds that come through the Community Development Block Grant Program. HUD wants to know how the use of funds advances the objectives of various plans. The TJPDC's CAPER notes that area median income, or AMI, for a family of four grew from $93,700 in 2021 to $102,200 in 2022. Here's a section from page 12 of the report. Income for those at the lowest end of the income spectrum largely stagnated, thereby exacerbating the effects of inflation for these residents. That has put pressure on low-income homeowners who may not be able to afford maintenance and repair. That influenced how Charlottesville spent some of its funds. Here's another section from The Caper. 
Recognizing this, the city committed, in program year 22-23, to a significant portion of its entitlement funds to programs designed to preserve the existing supply of affordable housing. That's goal one, including for critical and energy efficiency upgrades for income-qualified residents through LEAP's Solar Panel Rehabs Program and LEAP's Assisted Home Performance. There's a lot more in the document, and the main point of this segment is to get more people to read it. The CAPER documents other recent housing investments made by the city, as well as housing challenges. The document notes that the zoning rewrite is intended to create more opportunities to build housing, but notes that there is competition between private and non-profit developers. The comment period is open through August 30th, and Charlottesville City Council will hold public hearings for the CAPER on August 21st and September 5th. As of this particular set of words that I am saying, so far no one's commented. Maybe we could give it the community engagement bump? Since opening in 2010, Smith Aquatic Center has been plagued with a plethora of issues related to indoor air quality. Just before the pandemic changed everything in March of 2020, the city had announced major repairs to address concerns. The pool and gym stayed closed for 26 months before reopening in May of 2022. Now, the facility will shut down between Saturday, August 19th and September 4th for annual maintenance. Linda Austin, with the city's Parks and Recreation Department, wrote to me in response to a question and said that they will be draining, power washing, cleaning all the play features and slides, filling up the pool, replacing the metered shower valve units, clean the pool deck, preventative maintenance in the pump room, change filter media in the filters, and changing the clear comfort canisters. Sounds like an attempt to be pretty thorough. Anyone with a pass for fitness equipment can use it at Carver Recreation Center or can use Crow Pool instead if you want to swim. The exact hours are in the press release. There's a link in the newsletter. This maintenance takes place at the same time when construction is underway for the renovation at Charlottesville Middle School, which is next door. This paragraph is an excuse to post a picture of the work to date. You can see a link to that in the newsletter. Every month, a group of top-level planning staff from the city of Charlottesville, Albemarle County, and the University of Virginia get together with staff from the Rivanna Water and Sewer Authority to discuss topics that aren't yet ready for a public audience. The gathering fulfills the Three-Party Agreement, a document signed in 1986 between the city, the county, and UVA. Meetings of the Land Use and Environmental Planning Committee are not open to the public, but the presentations are posted soon afterwards. Semi-annual reports compile these presentations, and they're then sent to elected officials in both Albemarle and Charlottesville. The most recent of these reports was on the August 2nd consent agenda of the Albemarle Board of Supervisors. City Council had it as a written report in person at their meeting on August 7th. City Councilor Michael Payne noted that LUPEC replaced the Planning and Coordination Committee, an open-door body that consisted of two city councilors, two members of the Albemarle Board of Supervisors, and top officials at UVA. And it's been a couple years now since that was closed to the public, and even myself as a councilor would be unable to attend. So there is no public body which any member of our council or the public can attend to take part in UVA's decisions about their future land use and development. There was no other comment about the written report at council, but you can take a look at the four-page document at a link in the newsletter. Lupec also met on July 21st and had two presentations from the University of Virginia. 
They saw the same presentation that was given in June to the UVA Board of Visitors Buildings and Grounds Committee that was on the design of the Karsh Institute of Democracy. The relatively new institution will be part of the Emmett Ivy Corridor currently under construction. Lupec also got a presentation on planning for upgrades to the Fontaine Research Park. The near-term future will see construction of a 1,275-space, seven-level parking garage, creation of a central spine to connect different neighborhoods of the park, an academic and research building up to 350,000 gross square feet, and a future building of up to 250,000 square feet. The academic and research building is the Manning Institute of Biotechnology. Ray C. Hunt will see a roundabout installed to help traffic maneuver around the whole park. More on this as we continue going through time. But you are listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement in today's second Patreon field shout out. You know that WTJU has a position on algorithms and how DJs picking music is a lot better. But did you know that the radio station also celebrates puzzles? In fact, on Saturday, August 26th, WTJU is organizing the second annual Seville Puzzle Hunt, a huge cerebral puzzle that will spool out across downtown Charlottesville. The Seville Puzzle Hunt will take you and a team of friends on a wild afternoon running around trying to untangle five diabolical large-scale puzzles inserted into the urban landscape. The opening clue will be read at 3 p.m. at the Ix Art Park. Find out more about this WTJU-organized event at SevillePuzzleHunt.com. One big segment today, and it's about how the wheels of the bus go round and around. Charlottesville's future zoning code anticipates a lot more residents living within city limits with little to no requirements from the city government about providing places to park. Albemarle County and other surrounding localities are also planning on more people. If everyone tries to get around via car, there will likely be more congestion. To plan for alternatives to increase non-driving mobility options throughout the region, the Thomas Jefferson Planning District Commission is currently overseeing the second of two studies. TJPDC Planning and Transportation Director Sandy Shackelford briefed the Charlottesville City Council on the completed regional transit vision as well as the ongoing governance study at Council's meeting on August 7th. The transit vision plan established a unified, long-term vision of transit service throughout the region. This governance study was initiated to support the achievement of the regional transit priorities identified in the vision plan by identifying governance options for regional transit and increasing transportation investments. The firm AECOM is one of the subcontractors working on both studies. The governance study is now in its third phase, which is intended to find additional sources of revenue. There's a link to a six-page overview that was in the City Council's packet in the newsletter, as well as links to five articles I have previously written on this topic. But let's also hear from Stephanie Amoning-Yangson with AECOM. Really, when we talk about um, a transit authority, what we are looking for is one, to be able to find some options for dedicated transit revenue, and two, to be able to uh, 
get options of creating an entity, and this could be an authority that can govern that body, uh, that can govern and manage that funding source. Amoning Yangson said the end of the third phase will come up with a list of revenue sources, but this was not yet available at the time of council's briefing. A fourth phase will look at governance structures, and a final report is due by December. Currently, Charlottesville City Council governs Charlottesville Area Transit as the final decision maker on what the agency does. There is a defunct advisory body that has been removed from a list of city boards and commissions. There's also Jaunt, which is overseen by a board of directors appointed by the localities that fund the Public Service Corporation. The University of Virginia runs the University Transit Service, which covers a very small geographic scope around grounds. One half of a previous attempt to establish a regional transit authority passed the General Assembly when the basic permission to create one was granted in the late 2000s. However, legislation to hold a referendum on a 1% sales tax increase failed to get out of committee. And so with the with the lack of funding, there's really little that can be done in terms of uh, pushing forward the transit objectives that we have for the region. Other structures include a unified system where one major funder covers much of the costs. That's the case with Blacksburg Transit, which is paid for by Virginia Tech. Bloomington, Indiana has a public service corporation set up like Jaunt to provide service. However, in Bloomington, is funded by property and income tax. That's how they fund their services. Amoning Yangson said she and the other consultants understand that the Charlottesville region is diverse with different constituencies. Future service could depend on who wants to pay. Uh, we know that Charlottesville's priorities might be slightly different from, for example, Albemarle's priorities or from Louisa County's priorities. And so through this discussion, this is where we can uh, define who wants to be, who wants to participate, who is interested and what would that look like in having that sort of entity. One caveat is that many of the potential revenue sources may need legislative changes in Richmond to be able to devote them to transit. Legislatures under Republican or split-control general assemblies tend to not allow new taxation for new programs. A recent example is the attempt to allow localities to raise their sales tax for school construction costs. Those bills died this year, they died last year. What'll happen next year after the election? Well, that's another topic for another day. Another source of funding could be dedicating lodging or meals taxes to transit, but Amoning Yangson said these revenue streams may already be being used to fund other government services. The governance study is not complete, and one purpose of the briefing was to get information from councillors. An initial reaction was that legislative approval from Richmond for any new funding would be difficult at this time, if not impossible. Here's Vice Mayor Juan Diego Wade, Mayor Lloyd Snook, and then Councillor Leah Perrier. If we have to get authority from the General Assembly, we found that that is, have, has been an obstacle. So I think that that can be anything that we have to, you know, go outside to get authority for. We can put that in a category of... of Not now, certainly. Yes. Highly yeah, it can be unlikely a, at yes. this point in time. Shackelford said the planning team is aware of the political dynamics, not only in Richmond, but among the six member localities of the TJPDC. And we want to make sure that we are being thoughtful about how and when to proceed with any of these next steps. And so this is not necessarily something that we anticipate is going to move forward quickly, but we want to make sure that we are moving it forward. 
Councillor Lloyd Snook said he would not support increasing the real property tax rate and dedicating a portion to increased transit. City Councillor Brian Pinkston said he could support some additional tax rate increases to support transit at some point. The enabling legislation still exists to create the Region of Transit Authority, even without a funding source. City Councilor Michael Payne said he would support any funding increase from city sources to increase transit. He also said he wants the TJPDC and elected officials to be ready to move forward with expanded bus service. I'm 100% on board and that I think the city needs to be going all in to figure out, you know, how do we get to a regional transit authority and work with Albemarle and whatever partners are willing to join us and think, you know, what can we do now? Because I think in a couple of years, we probably can win some sort of funding mechanism. City Councilor Brian Pinkston noted that there was one potential revenue source missing from the presentation. The one thing that was not included that I could see was any sort of contribution by the university. So the university would be one funding stream that would need to be layered into this. Amoning Yangson said additional direct funding from the University of Virginia has not been part of the conversation. For many years, though, UVA has provided funding into the system for the free trolley-style bus, as well as to allow faculty, staff, and students to use their ID to catch a ride. We talked about Charlottesville potentially taking, um, doing more on the university property, on, on the university grounds, and we looked at the contributions from the university. Uh, right now, it's about, I, think, I believe, about 350000 uh, per year and about two fifty or so for John's. Snook said other urbanizing areas of the community should be considered to be at the table. Let's say Louisa County and Fluvanna County, for whom the Zion's Crossroads area is the easiest link to Charlottesville. But uh, taking Louisa as an example, I suspect that people who live in the eastern part of Louisa County, say in Mineral, may be more interested in getting to Richmond than they are in getting to Charlottesville. Her year said she felt it was important for Cat and Jaunt to work together to move people around the whole region, or at least to not break what is already working by relying too heavily on new revenue sources. One of the things that I'm hearing that you're going to go back and talk to the other uh, regional municipalities because there are a lot of people that rely on Jaunt both in Charlottesville and Albemarle, but in outlying counties. And whatever we do, we don't want to make it cost prohibitive for people that rely on that service. Perrier said she had heard about the Afton Express and wanted to learn more about how that service worked. The University of Virginia has also contributed financially to that commuter service, which travels between Stanton and Charlottesville several times a day. City manager Sam Sanders wrapped up the discussion by stating that CAT is learning more about what Albemarle's needs are by working with them directly on the microtransit pilot. I'll have more information on that tomorrow. He said he appreciated council's willingness to be ready to proceed with something that may be short of the full regional transit vision that came about during the first study. There will be trade-offs. It's a very expensive proposition to be able to do this. Um, it will require regionalism at its best, I would imagine, uh, to pull this off. For those who are very interested in this topic and would like to get involved, the Jefferson Area Regional Transit Partnership meets next Thursday at 4 p.m. Stay tuned to the week ahead on Sunday to learn more details. 
now it's time to finish another edition, which almost came out yesterday, but I'm still getting back in the swing of things. I believe I made a comment on this on my Substack notes, which I suspect about 1% of you have actually looked at. I hope you will take a look if you haven't already, because that's how I give updates about where this show is in production. What is happening on a more broader level is that there are many of you paying for me to keep going with more of these newsletters and podcasts. I'm really appreciative of every single one of you, even those who aren't paying. The point is to grow the number of people who know about capers and studies and other elements for how things happen in this community. Ting also helps keep this committee going as well, with its sponsorship of things like Scott Stadium and the John Paul Jones Arena and many more things happening in the community. Ting also sponsors this newsletter by matching the initial subscription of every new paid subscriber. Now I'm going to begin producing the next one. Thank you very much. 568 on the way. Goodbye.